Well, we take our Bibles and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and the uh, sermon outline, pages 10 and 11. We come now to a new section of 1 Peter, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 2, with the last words having been in verse 3, Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. This is God's word. Let us bow together. We thank you, Lord, for this privilege of seeing your word in our own language and having it come to our hearts directly. We pray that you would use it now and always to shape us, to to transform our thinking and to give us real hope that chases away our fears and confidence born of the strong name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. Now surely Peter would have read these words as I did this morning as he wrote them and have had a, a, a very different, perhaps, flood of emotion than you and me. We don't live, most of us, in contact with stonework, outside of Leon Johnson, who did that for years with his pools. Unless you're in the construction business, and even then, many, many forms of construction today and here are not through the use of stone. But in the Holy Land, and in the days of Peter, Construction, by and large, was chiefly of that, if it was to be permanent. And surely the temple of God came to mind, for there stone upon stone was laid in a marvelous edifice to the glory of God. But it would have been more than that what he surely would have thought of, because it was Jesus who gave him the name Peter, the Greek word for rock. We read in Mark chapter 1 that when he was out with his nets with his brother Andrew, his name was simply Simon, the name his parents had given him. But just as Saul became Paul, Peter, excuse me, Simon became Simon Peter, later Cephas, the Aramaic term of that, given to him by the Apostle Paul. And he surely would have remembered that it was Jesus who said to him, Upon his testimony, not unlike what Lisa has rendered today, upon this rock I will build my church. Surely he remembered that. And having been a young boy raised up in the teachings of the Old Testament, he was familiar with these quotes of this cornerstone that would be laid in Zion, a chosen and precious one, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
And he would have known the teachings of Paul, who said that the church of Jesus Christ is like a great building with Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So a flood of images would surely have come to Peter's mind because of his experience with the Savior as he was led to write these words. The cornerstone was the important part of the building. The cornerstone, as, a, as you see there, was the first stone laid. When they decided where the building would go, then a perfectly true cornerstone formed the, the initial and permanent foundation. It was to be the best stone. All of the rest of the dimensions were to be measured off of it, as I said. It had to be the most perfectly cut of all the stones. If they got that wrong, the whole building would be off. I remember as a young boy watching them build the arch in St. Louis. And they talked at the time about how the slightest miscalculation at the base would mean that the two legs would never meet. Or if they did, there would be tremendous tension on the structure. It probably wouldn't be sustainable. And I don't remember what the calculation was, but it was very small. And as the, as the legs came out of the ground and moved toward, toward the completion, no doubt someone was sweating. <laughs> I hope we did that right. One day, though, the capstone was laid and the two legs were brought together and the calculations had been precise. This was also to be the strongest stone. It, had, it couldn't be in some way defective because the whole building would rest on it. You know, it would come from this direction, it would come from that direction, and it would come from above. As we see, it was to be the most precious stone, the most expensive part of the ancient building. It, it had to be right. And it was. Jesus was the perfect cornerstone. So you see the richness of this image fulfilled in him. But at the same time, as Peter says, the builders, the ones in charge of the construction, looked things over and they rejected him. Perfect as he was, he didn't meet their approval because they had a different agenda. We'll get to that in a moment. But before we leave this image... Let's remember that we're talking now not about inert rock, but a living stone. And then, as he says, we are living stones. So the image becomes more complicated. I mean, stones don't live, obviously. But he wanted to retain the image of the church as a building and of God's work having been founded upon the chief cornerstone, which was with the images of the Old Testament. And so it's not difficult, not a stretch at all for us to say that he is our life's foundation. Verse 6, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now we have to say, when we put all of scripture together on that point, we know that just as he was rejected, so shall his followers be. And if we were to say, that there were no temporary rejections, but it wouldn't be true. But he's speaking now ultimately, in the end of things, at the last day, where will you stand? You will stand strong, firm in him, and you will never be put to shame on that occasion. 
the one who trusts in him, he now has become the, our, our center of gravity. To make him the cornerstone of our life is what we do. He sets the course for our life. Becoming a Christian, as Lisa Marie has done this recently, is not just a change of mind. It is taking measurements by a new cornerstone. You build off of him. If your cornerstone crumbles, your life crumbles. You have seen and tasted, he says in verse 3, that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, remember that he was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. So you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. This is God's image of what's going on. It's not a singular stone. Again, as I said last week, all of the images of the church of Jesus Christ are plural and communal. There is no building with just a cornerstone. He wasn't laid in that perfect spot in a beautiful dimension so that he might dwell alone in perfect righteousness. We were to build off of him, and our lives are to be resting and built off of him, the solid rock. What is your functional cornerstone? Whatever it is, it can't save you. It may be a wonderful thing, but it can't forgive your sins. It can't give you eternal life. And ultimately, the weight of a misapplication of a life on the wrong stone will crumble and crush you. To believe in Jesus Christ is to get rid of the old cornerstones and to put the stones of our lives against the real cornerstone and lean on it. I think this is a beautiful image. Stones, of course, don't have any life, but he's calling us living stones. And if we were to be alive in a situation where that one rock was sure, and we could be sure that he was not only true, but also strong, we could lean on him and not be afraid. We could be a part of a larger building and and not be susceptible to weakness and failings. If he is our only cornerstone... We would never be ashamed. This is all the reason in the world to come to him and to build our lives there. But we do remember that he was rejected. It's hard to imagine, but, you know, the builders around the site, they're looking for the stone that they're going to use to set as the cornerstone. They're looking here, they're looking there, they're measuring. Maybe they've done some initial straightening of the, of the rock and, and looking at it, they passed over him. He who set the angel to pass over Israel was himself passed over. And it reminds us that he came to his own and his own received him not. On careful consideration, the architects, the engineers, the construction laborers, the foremen said to Jesus Christ, no. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Romans, all of those of his day said, we'll take another rock. We'll use a different stone and we will reject him. But, says the Lord in this quotation in in verse 6, I lay in Zion a stone. This cornerstone has been rejected by men and turned away and passed over. But I lay a stone a chosen by me and a precious to me cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will not be ashamed. So Jesus is our new federal head. 
For if the cornerstone is true, the house is true, apart for the whole. We don't have to worry about our situation because we rest upon the, the veracity of his. How can I know that I'm acceptable in God's sight? Because you are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, more about the priesthood next Sunday. Too many images here. But he brings them all together, and they were surely in Peter's mind. Peter probably wondered when Jesus said that he would be Simon Peter, what role he would play. Perhaps he was puffed up and proud. I've been selected to be the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. But that rock was not the cornerstone. He failed time and time again. But Jesus did not. He was true. He was perfect. He was unassailably just and righteous and good. And we build our lives on that cornerstone. But he's not just a functionality, you see. It wasn't just that God said, let's see, I need a rock. I need, I need something, I need, I need something to build my church with, so I'll take that one. Some nameless and unimportant piece of rock. No, the Father treasured him. What did it cost him to lay this cornerstone? The intimacy. John seventeen twenty three. Let the world know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. So the one word that should not be omitted or overlooked in this passage is verse in, found in verse seven and in verse six. Precious. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. Precious because it was first precious to the Father, His only Son, the object of His affection from all eternity, now about to be given up and given over and sacrificed to those who would reject Him and pass Him by. And their relationship was severed briefly at at Calvary in a painful way that we can only begin to imagine. And the son gave it up. And the father gave him up. And all the preciousness that they shared together was sacrificed as well. John Flavel, a Puritan, writes this way in the italicized word, God is the fountain, the ocean, the center of joy, and Jesus lay in the very bosom of that fountain of joy. Day in and day out, the Father immediately, fully, everlastingly, let out his, uh, this overpowering bliss and rapture and ecstasy and delight into the soul of Jesus. And they exchanged a marvelous harmony, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No one has ever experienced such glorious joy. He is chosen and precious to the Father. The Father treasures him, and he gave him up. Gave him up. 
Wives have lost husbands. Children have lost parents. And it's a new experience, a painful separation. But nothing quite like this. For our love for each other is imperfect and intermittent. But the Father's love for the Son was full and constant. And it was reciprocated. So that there was this continual thing that we all long for, perfect love, all the time, between two beings. And this love just resonated and resonated and resonated. And it filled Jesus' heart or soul, or however you describe his being, with a tremendous pleasure and confidence. Who would want to give that up? If we don't want to give up the imperfect love that we know here, even for a moment, why would the Father want to give that up for someone who would reject the gift and who really didn't even invite him to begin with? Why do that for a people who, <coughs> excuse me, since the day of Adam and Eve have rejected his commands, his advice, his counsel, his directions? And not just that. A, command, a rejection of a command is, a, is the expression of a rebellious and ungrateful heart. So he doesn't just look down upon our misdeeds and our transgressions and our failings as just actions in themselves. He knows that behind that rebellion and disobedience, there is a heart of stone. An inanimate one. One that has, if anything, hostility to him. So we, must, we simply must feel the weight of this even as he bare the full weight of our sin. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the main thing of our lives. And because he is precious, then we are acceptable and precious to the Father. To you who believe, the the original says it's, it's the honor the, the, the riches. This word precious is, is uh, it's more than just dear. It's truly wonderful. We could love something, you know, that was broken and feeble and have mercy upon it and bring it up, which he certainly did for us. But in this case, he gives us the place of honor and majesty. So the goal is that Jesus would be the love of our life too. Not just that we would rest on him, which is enough by itself, and have have a firm foundation to our lives. Not just that he would be the one who was upon which our whole lives and reputations were built, but that we would love him. To you who believe, he is precious. When you understand that he is your cornerstone, you can become enthralled with him. His preciousness begins to dawn on us and it fills our souls. 
One of the purposes of this passage, no doubt, is for his readers in the midst of their persecution to stop and say, yes, my life is built on this cornerstone, this solid rock, this, as we sang this morning, in Christ alone. But it's not just a cold piece of rock. He's precious to me. He's the love of my life. When one thing becomes all precious to you, then everything else becomes less important. Charles Spurgeon, when preaching on this passage, used this illustration. Suppose you were very sick. And there was a medicine developed and devised that was available for your healing. Wouldn't you do everything you could to get it? Wouldn't you sacrifice your house, your savings, your job, whatever it took to get that medicine. It was precious to you because it meant life itself. In the same way, so Jesus, the solid rock, is to be precious to us. But if you reject this cornerstone, you will reject your house. For if, if there is such a cornerstone, you must come to him, or you will stumble over him all, you li- all your life. Notice what happened to those. Verse 7, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So let us summarize. This is a simple but complex image. On the one hand, Peter is the rock upon which he will build his church. But that rock doesn't really stand on its own. It stands against the cornerstone, which is Christ, the precious one surrendered by the Father. Therefore, in summary, salvation can be found nowhere than in Christ. He is utterly foundational. You can't have a building without a cornerstone. Now today we often lay symbolic and ceremonial cornerstones on the edge of a building. But in that day and time, the only way to build something of substance was was through the laying of a cornerstone upon which everything else would be built. And salvation can therefore be nowhere found except here. The house will fall. Fair warning is given. Find what, look for what you will and delight in what you may in this world, but none of it will be able to sustain you, your family, your life, relationally as well as substantially, except Christ. There's no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. Secondly, God's choice of this precious stone rebukes human arrogance. In their rejection of Christ, the builders, in spite of themselves, served to put God's stone in place. God's in charge. See, I lay in Zion, he says. The rejection of the builders, tragic as it was and foolish and arrogant as it was, didn't thwart the purposes of God at all. He was perfectly laid. The sun was set in place even as they opposed him and crucified him. The the foundation was being laid for the church of Jesus Christ. 
God is bigger than we are. We don't manage him. He manages us. And he handled all the complexities of the Old Testament prophecy and the ins and outs of Jesus' life and the uncertainties of Peter's testimony. And he put, in spite of themselves, exactly where he wanted it, the stone that the builders rejected. Thirdly, the delight that the Father has in the Son is given to us and has made him precious. Paul writes that he has shed abroad in our hearts his love. That's the same idea. God loves the Son and is teaching us to love him. And we're learning. We're slow learners, but we're beginning to learn. And we're starting to call him precious and important and vital to us. But nothing like what the Father considers him to be. And oh, what a reunion it must have been in the Trinity as Jesus rose from the dead and forevermore now is with his Father and the Spirit. We are learning to make him precious. We stumble. We put our affections on other things. Many things glisten and attract us. But there's only one cornerstone. And the delight that the Father has in the Son is now given to us and has made him precious. We would not be able to love him and consider him important if it were not for the Father giving us that as a gift. It's a tremendous and and invaluable one. Fourthly, the reality of union with Christ is seen in the life of each living stone. Our connection to him is seen in the connection to the building, the cornerstone. Our mutual dependence on him removes the tension between the claims of the individual and of the community. We are built together. You know how it is in any family of any size. People want to pull away. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be a part of this family. But if we have no life and standing apart from the family, then we find, well, all right, I must subsume my independent spirit under the broader welfare of my loved ones and family. That's what's called maturity. And the cornerstone teaches us not to be individual isolated buildings. We make a fool of ourselves if we think we can build without a cornerstone. And if we think our one little stone or two or three is going to make anything of any significance, it's only when we are together and when we are connected that these things become significant. We are built together. And finally, God's people are living stones, part of a growing house. New stones are added, like Lisa. All are shaped and perfected. So what's he doing? Well, he's making us suitable to be laid next to the cornerstone, which is perfect. And he's shaping and molding us and putting us in place. And we're a part of a building that's coming out of the ground, perfectly laid upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. We ourselves, imperfect, yes. But nevertheless, having new life, we are living stones. And this church, this building, this kingdom of God is expanding and growing and being added to. It's coming up out of the ground. One day, when he comes back, it will be a tremendous edifice. Terrific example and testimony of his grace. You are that important. Maybe you didn't think so. Maybe you thought, oh, well, 
not me. That's not true. You are precious to him. Enjoy your growing interest in him in return. Let us pray. Lord, it is fun to love you back. It really is delightful to be able to say to you, thank you. And to make you in our life more and more precious. And to let go more and more of the things of this world. And the aspirations that we had. It really is a, you are a marvelous suitor. You truly repay many times over our little affection. And we pray that you might grow it in us. That we might mature. And that our, with every passing day, the stone which the builders rejected, which you laid in Zion, would become our cornerstone, precious above all price. Through Christ our Lord we ask it. Amen. Let us stand together.